As we begin, and Joshua, I'll go ahead and just lead it a cappella, okay? Joshua has been doing a great job leading our music. Thanks, Joshua. Let's sing Obedience as we begin in Sunday school. Come on in, Jacob. Come on in, you guys. Maybe this is a song you know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Obedience is the very best way to show that you Father God, I also thank you again for those who are here today. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing the second verse. We want to live pure. We want to live clean. We want to do our best. Sweetly submitting to authority. Leaving to God the rest. Walking in the light, keeping our attitudes right on the narrow way. For if we believe the word we receive, we always will obey. O B E D I E N C E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you all right, I will, for those of you who have new forms or weren't here last week, I will quickly, this is again, we, we covered, we got near the bottom of the page actually, we have a lot of scripture to get into, but we had some discussion about, again, we are going through this book, that book, um, Quick Answers to Social Issues, uh, and we have covered all kinds of social issues, everywhere from uh, sexual and gender issues to the environment to... Uh, other things. And now we're, the, we're in the conclusion, concluding chapters. And this chapter is, uh, was called, Don't You Want Progress and to Be on the Right Side of History? So I'm just going to fill in, kind of go through to summarize, fill in the blanks for you. Uh, to get down to the point where we left off last week. Uh, the biblical answer, Roman numeral one, is yes and yes. We do want progress and we do want to be on the right side of history. Uh, letter A, under that, Christians want true, or you could say biblical, but true is the blank there, I guess, true progress that leads to real human flourishing as it, and is eternally, eternally on the right side of history. Roman numeral two, the secular worldview. The secular worldview alleges... Uh, that for one thing, Christianity is hindering. Christianity is hindering mankind. Um, you know, the idea is that uh, 
they think they know the direction we want to go or the, the society should go, and Christianity tends to get in the way of that. So we're hindering progress, they say. Letter B, future generations will look back at those who impeded, impeded the secular utopia with disdain. They will look back at those. That's, that's what they, they allege, the secular worldview alleges. Okay, the Roman numeral number three, but, but the question is, who determines genuine progress and who determines which side of history is the right side of history? Okay, so then the letter A under that, when the secularist judges, and again, they say that you shouldn't judge, but they do judge, uh, that the Christian version of progress is bad and their version is good, by what standard are they judging? And the answer is a standard they made up. A standard they made up. Uh, they basically just make it up out of thin air, out of their own imaginations. Um, so, and, and, and if they can do that, if anyone can do that, then, then how, how are you to know what, what standard's right, what is right, what is wrong? And letter B under that, actually, why should secularists even care about progress or coming generations? Anyway, in their worldview, number one, humanity is a chemical accident. Morality is fluid. Truth is relative. And autonomy is king. So your blanks were accident, chemical accident, and truth is relative. Again, they, the whole idea of the Big Bang However, that in the, however in the world that actually happened, that would have been an accident. And somehow from that, we are here. Pretty amazing. That would be a miracle in itself, but that would bring in God, so that's the problem. Okay, number two, eventually everyone will be extinct with no memory of history preserved. Uh, the idea is that really science teaches, true science teaches that our, our world is eventually going to come to an end. It can't go on forever. It is degrading. And eventually this, you know, as they say, they, they believe it, there, we wouldn't even exist and the earth wouldn't exist and there'd be no memory left of history. So what, why do we care? So number three under that, to care for humanity's plight is, again, we've said it before, to borrow to borrow from the Christian worldview, or you could put in there the biblical worldview, either way, um, the, the Christian worldview. And then uh, the next lesson, <clears throat> after this one, we'll kind of get into that in more detail, uh, talking about the way, basically, a lot of the things the secular world fights for, the, the item is in a way good, but they're going at it in the, whole, in, in the wrong way, trying to come up with their own solutions. Okay, so letter C, the biblical worldview overflows with sincere... Okay, the biblical worldview overflows with sincere reasons to care for humanity because, number one, all humans are created in God's image and have souls that will eternally exist in either heaven or hell. 
Uh, in Genesis 1.27, you don't need to turn there, but it's a foundational verse we've shared many times. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then if you would quickly here, let's just glance at this. Matthew chapter 25. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 as a reminder. Matthew 25, and I'm going to start starting at verse 31. I'm going to read it kind of quickly, uh, just as review. Matthew 25, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and they would inherit that kingdom in heaven. But then skip down to verse uh, 41, verse 41, and he says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, And then verse 46 kind of summarizes, it says, These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So either the punishment is eternal and everlasting, or or the eternal life in heaven is eternal. It's going to be one or the other. Everyone will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. Uh, you know, we, I don't think many would consider us to be, I'm not sure Pastor Matt would want us to be considered to be a hell and fire brimstone church type, pre, type of thing, but it is biblical. Yes, it is. <laughs> There's everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It is, and that's, it's, it's hard for us to get our heads around how terrible that will be, but it's real, and it's talked about in Scripture. We cannot ignore it. And then, uh, let's see, did I, did, well, yeah, I'm going to share this, um, okay, you're in Matthew, I think we did this last week too, but let's do it again. Let's turn back from Matthew 25 to Matthew 16. I stuck this in here, and uh, I'm not exactly sure how it's supposed to fit, but I think it's worth reading. Uh, Matthew, 20, Matthew 16 and verse 26. Yeah, I'll read 26 and 27 again. And this is so important. Uh, our, our, our society is so wrapped up into some, making financial gains or comforts or entertainment or whatever it might be. But verse 26 really kind of hits people between the eyes. It says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27, for the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. And that word reward means to recompense, either it means to do justice to. So in other words, he's going to reward the righteous in heaven, but the wicked he'll send to hell as a recompense for their evil works. So again, it's going to be one or the other. Jesus will judge, 
and there will be a righteous judgment. Okay, so that's part of why we care. Number one, all humans are created in God's image and, and have souls that will eternally exist in either heaven or hell. So we should care about those people and encourage those who are headed for heaven and, and challenge those who are not. Number two, in your outline, out of, um, we also care for humanity out of love and obedience to God. Christians desire to imitate and glorify their creator and savior. So that, okay, so we're in new territory now here. We did not cover that last week. Out of, we want to, out of love and obedience to God, we want to imitate and glorify our creator and savior. All right, you're in Matthew. So now let's go a little bit towards uh, Matthew 22. Again, when Jesus was asked you know, what the most important command was, he basically said, you want to um, do all, love God with all you've got and love others the way you love yourself. And this is part of, this is where that was. Matthew 20, I'm sorry, in verse 34, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four says, but when the Pharisees, <clears throat> they were the, uh, you know, they were the, uh, the legalistic uh, religious people of the day, when they heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, which were another group of religious leaders, by the way, that believed different things, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so that, you know, love should be our motivator. We've talked about that a lot. Through a lot of these difficult topics we've been talking about, we have biblical answers to them. But if you don't even present them or challenge people in love, it's not going to have the impact God would have it be. So uh, love is, should be our motivator. We should love our neighbor as ourself. And other passages say that no one ever yet hated his own body, but loves it, he cherishes it. And so we should love others <clears throat> as we love ourselves. Um, I have in your notes there John 15 also. Um, let's go ahead and turn there. We sang before we started this morning, obedience. And that's one of the, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, right? And this kind of talks about that. In verse 10 of John 15, it said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now Jesus, unlike us, he kept his Father's commandments perfectly. We don't. But we should still strive to do that. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So verse, uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine 39 says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So no one ever hated, but Jesus here is saying, love one another as I loved you. So if you doubt that you love yourself, you better not doubt that Jesus loves you, because he does. He gave himself for you. Oh, and that says, verse 13, (laughs) says, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us, right? We are all sinners. We didn't deserve God's grace, but but God, well, the the whole definition of grace is that which isn't deserved. But God, out of his grace, sent Jesus to die. I'll get into that a little bit more as we go, I think. But Okay, so yes, Christians want genuine progress for human flourishing. And there is a book, a manual, the Word of God, where the designer and maker of humanity explicitly details how creation works best. That's what your letter D is. The Bible is the manual where the designer and maker of humanity explicitly details how his creation works best. You could say how it works, period, because <laughs> he, he just makes it work. And, but he does know what is best for humanity. We as humans tend to fight that, but he knows what is best. And again, if we obey, we, we see that. Okay, turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, a passage that we use a lot here. We come across, it applies to a lot of things, and honestly, uh, I got a slightly fresh perspective on this as it, in the context of this lesson. <clears throat> uh, so, if he provides us a manual... Uh, we should we should pay attention to that manual, right? Oh, wait a second. I lost my place. Lost my place. Okay. So, Second Timothy chapter three. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna start. I think I have in your notes. Yeah, going all the way through chapter four, verse five. So let's let's read that and consider that in this context terms of a manual to live life and what even for a society what's best verse 16 of chapter 3 all scripture is given and and that's this book we hold in our hands or have on our tables or whatever it's all given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine that's teaching for reproof that's like okay um, you're headed the wrong way and then for correction This is the right way to go, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then verse, in chapter 4, again, he's talking, he's writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, a local pastor. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. We've already talked a little bit about that, his judging. Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come, well, okay, so that's what Timothy is supposed to do, and that's what all of us in, in our place, in the church, in the community, should do as we can to help guide others, even if they're not believers, to do that which is right. But, that, but, verse 3, for the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. A couple points I wanted to make there. Verse 5 Again, he, Paul is exhorting Timothy as a pastor, but, that, but a lot of these things apply to us as well. Maybe not to the same degree, but they do. But verse 5, the beginning of verse 5, really does apply to everyone. But you be watchful in all things. And, and that's part of what this class has been about, I hope. I like to think that we're, we're looking at a lot of these social issues that are going on around us, that are going down the slide, as it were, the wrong direction. And we're saying, well, what does the Bible have to say about these things? What is the biblical answer? That's where we should be watchful. We need to understand what the biblical answer is to these things so that we, for ourselves, stay on the right path and we can help others to get on the right path. To make a difference. Again, we know, according to verse 3, some won't listen to it. Always has been the case and always will be the case. You're not going to convince everybody. That's not our job. But we just want to share so that they might see the truth. Uh, There's another passage where it says, you know, if God perhaps will give them, uh, enable them to to see the truth, see the error of their ways and be... be, um, It's in Timothy as well, but I can't think of where it is exactly. Okay, so, on the negative side, the author pointed out, the author of the book that we're going through here, pointed out the you applies in verse 5. You be watchful in all things. So that we don't, again, the best counsel is in the scriptures. And, you know, just where Jesus taught... In Matthew, I think, again, Sermon on the Mount, you know, so if, you, if you do these things that I teach, I'll liken you to a man who built his house on a rock. And, and the winds came, the, the rain came, the winds came, and, and the house stood because it was on a rock. If we follow Scripture, in Scripture's way, we'll be on the rock. But then he said, those of you who don't follow my ways, it's like you're on the sand, and things it'll wash you away. So... We need to stand on the words, and, and, and that's all in context, starting in, in 2 Timothy three sixteen. All scriptures given by inspiration for, of God and is profitable for all these things. So that, that ties right into verse 5. Be watchful in all things by keeping track of what does God's word say and follow that. I wonder sometimes. I take so much solace in knowing that this is true and accurate. And this is ancient history, you know, long thousands of years ago. But you watch the news today, and the present day isn't reported true. So, okay, take that 100 years apart. Okay, how in the world are you supposed to know what the truth was back 100 years ago? When, you know. So, yeah, we need to be careful. And, I mean, certainly there are different, some sources we trust more than others, but the scripture uh, by far is the most. Is there any, anybody else? Huh? It's perfect, that's right, it is, without error. All right, um, okay, so we've covered that. Number one, under that, 
As an individual or society rejects God's word, the only progress made is toward earthly and eventually eternal destruction. That's your blank there. Number one, as an individual or society rejects God's word, the only progress made is toward earthly and eventually eternal destruction. Turn, if you would, back to Matthew. So we left Matthew for a little while. We're going to go back there again. Matthew chapter 7, and I think Shane brought this up last week, and I said we'd be getting to it, and here it is. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 is where I'm going to start. It says, uh, this is in the midst of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts. By the way, again, yes, we as mankind compared to God are evil. He's making a comparison. So, It's like, well, you might say, I'm not evil. It's like, well, yeah, compared to God, you are. Each and every one of us are. Uh, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever uh, you want men to do to you, do, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Yep, there are few. And it's narrow. Narrow is the way to life. Broad is the way to destruction. And that... I'm not even going to mention numbers because I don't know them at this point. But if you ever, you know, people will take polls in different nations and say, how many of you are Christians? How many are evangelical Christians? Whatever all this. And you'll get a percentage, some number, always a minority, certainly of the whole population. I think almost all of those are overblown. And the true numbers are probably less than what the poll in terms of the percentage of true Christians in the world. So, so it's narrow, the way to life is narrow. But um, the, the majority go the way of least resistance, if you will. This isn't in my notes. I'm, I'm, I'm winging it here, which I don't like to do. Where, where it says there, um, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go there, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. So that makes it sound like, and to some degree, it's, I've heard it said before, the gospel is, is simple, but it's not easy. I think that's the way I've heard it say. The, the, the facts of the gospel are rather straightforward. All of us, again, we're, we're evil there. It said there in verse 11, if you then being evil, all of us are evil. All of it, the Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, so we're evil. And, and the, the Bible says that God will not allow anything evil. He will not allow sin into his heaven. So if we have any hope of heaven, we have to have something done about our sin. And it makes it clear that we cannot do anything ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace, what we don't deserve. 
and that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we can't work our way to heaven because we have sin, right? So how did he do that? So Jesus, we read earlier, uh, you don't have to turn there, but John 15, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. Jesus being God, he was perfect, he was holy, he never sinned, but when he died on the cross, that's what he did. He laid down his life for us. So that we who have sinned, and then he forgave us our sins through the the shedding of his blood, which we're going to celebrate that during communion today. He forgives us, he washes us from our sins through his shed blood, But the point is, we need to believe it. We need to trust Jesus Christ and what he he did for us, for our salvation. Um, Turn if you would. So so the facts of it are simple. But to make that decision, to to receive the gift. You know, if at Christmas time, your, your parents or your family give a gift to you, it's all wrapped up and pretty, they don't expect you to go do anything to get it. It's you're giving it to them freely, but they need to take it. They need to unwrap it, as it were, and, and receive it. And that's all we need to do, is to receive Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, this isn't in your notes. How are we doing for time? And this could take forever. The author in the book, he, he included Job chapters 38 to 42. The whole, the, and so what I did, go, turn to Job, if you would, which is in the Old Testament, just before Psalms. And I am going to hit the only, and I'm not even going to say the high spots. I'm just going to, I'm going to select some stuff for sake of time. If you remember the whole book of Job, um, Job, it said he was an upright man. There wasn't fault in him. God was not judging him for anything. It was just where Satan kind of went, he went to challenge God, if it were, say, look at your servant Job. The only reason he follows you is because he has everything he'd ever want and so forth. So God gave Satan some room to work in Job's life, make things miserable for him. Basically take his family and then his body, his whole body, he was miserable. And so Job had some issues. He, he dealt with it for the most part way better than any of us would. But still, he, was, he would challenge God at times. So then in Job 38, that's where I'm going to start, just to get the context. Then the Lord answered Job, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? He's kind of saying, Job, you're ignorant. You don't understand. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Okay, skip, if you would, uh, verse 24. He, he does a lot of these arguments, saying, or they, he asks the question, and this is interesting, by what way is light diffused? Or the east wind scattered over the earth? Do you understand that? Then go to, look to verse 36. This, is, this, is, this really gets to it. <clears throat> who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? 
Of course, the answer to all these things is God, the almighty creator, okay? Um, Okay, then let's skip to chapter 40. Uh, He's arguing with Job here. Uh, And he he answered him once out of the whirlwind, and now he's going to do it again. Chapter 40, verse 6. He says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Uh, Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? If so, verse 10, then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and and beauty. Then, continuing verse 11, disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Okay, so again, this is, I'm, I'm, I hate to be skipping over this so fast, but obviously, uh, verse 9, Job does not have an arm like God. He cannot thunder with a voice like his. So he can't do these things in verse 11 through 14. But God can, and God will. He will look on everyone, who, verse 12, he will look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. He will do that which is right. Okay, but as I said, again, in, in verse 14, then I will also confess to you, your own right hand can save you. But he he, he doesn't meet those criteria. His own right hand cannot save him. Again, we cannot save ourselves. Okay, I'm just going to read. Um, turn, if you would, last verse we're going to turn to. Um, uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, into the New Testament. Is that for the first? No, we went to First Timothy. So, Romans chapter 5 and verse... Eight. I already kind of said this, but I didn't put the scripture to it. Romans 8, up 5, verse 8, says, But God demonstrates, or the King James says, uh, commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And then verse 10 points out that we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Um, So that's our only way out of this way of destruction, is to trust Jesus Christ and what he did for us, to forgive us for our sins. And kind of back, so we dug into the individual aspect of this a little bit. Number two of your, your last bullet on the handout, societies that have followed the directions of the author, maker, and sustainer of the universe have been the most civilized, structured, and prosperous in history, God knows best what, what's best for his creation, and those who have followed his instruction book, no, no nation has done it perfectly, but those who have tried to follow it in sincerity, God has prospered. That's just the reality of it. I'm sorry, we're out of time. No time for closing comments. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, <clears throat> we thank you for your word. 
We do thank you for the guidebook you've given us. Help us, Father God, to be humble before you and to obey it, whatever situation we're in. Whether it seems right or not, just help us to obey you as best as possible for your honor and glory. We do now pray you'd be with the service to come in every aspect of it as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word preached, as we give. Help us to honor you in it and uh, as well as in the communion service that it would all be glorifying to you, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.